0: And it is time for us to check in with Vaughn Palmer on this Friday morning. And it's a very rare, rare occasion because I'm actually looking at Vaughn face to face. Vaughn, that's
1: weird, isn't it? You look the other way, and you'll see the ghost of Francis Rattenbury. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm real, I think. Not
0: funny. That is not So I asked Vaude, I said, have you ever come across any of these ghosts in the legislature? But you said your building where
1: you work is scarier than this one. Yeah, the old red brick building beside the legislature, the old armory for the legislature, the old stables. It is actually older than the legislature buildings. It's been deserted on the upper floors. For many years, because it's not safe. However, they think it's a perfect place to put me <laughs> and Keith Baldry Global TV. So we're in there. <laughs> we, we reassure ourselves that when the earthquake happens, we won't be there. So, so
0: that's uh, where we keep the artifacts is what you're saying.
1: But there are fabulous ghost stories around here. You got time for one? Yes, of course. There's a, there's a, I heard this one from Bruce Hutchison, who was my mentor here and started working here in 1919. He says, there's a picture in the upper floors somewhere of the old colonial legislature. the the people who served in it. And they, of course, that's pre-1871 when B.C. joined Confederation. So the story is they took a picture of the entire membership of that legislature. One member was missing because he was dead. Uh, They put the painting, uh, the picture up on the walls. They framed it. And over the next few weeks, the guys materialized in it. The the, the dead person. The dead guy shows up. In right. the picture, in the picture, right. So that's the story, uh, you know. But I mean, this is just a ghost story, right? That would, couldn't be true, and that's not why you closed your door this morning. So, was <laughs> anybody moving by here? No, it's a spooky <laughs> old building, and and the one I'm in is just as bad. And as I said, most of the floors in it have been deserted since 1978 when they kicked out the motor vehicle branch.
0: Oh, boy. Okay. So, see, I'm not the only one who feels this way, but uh, we can also talk about political hauntings because there's oh, a lot of those around here, yeah. too. Like, it, it's hard not to think that at some point BC Ferries isn't cursed or haunted by something.
1: Uh, yes, I think that would be a fair guess. Uh, I don't know if there's any really old ships there where the... Uh, the former crew is uh, still staffing and the be. the bridge. Uh, but look, uh, every time you think, oh, they must have sorted it out there by now, we get another serious episode. And so the ferries management has had a huge falling out with the ferries union. Uh, Eric McNeely, the uh, head of the union, has written his members. Global got the letter last night. And Simi, it says that... Uh, the ferries have turned down an effort by the union to uh, pay proper overtime to the members. They're going to force the union into an 18-month arbitration on this issue. And he's pretty upset. I don't blame him. But the thing that I find unfathomable, if you don't mind a marine metaphor here, uh, the thing that I find unfathomable is why would the ferry corporation, which is trying very, very hard to persuade people that the ferry corp- ferries are a great place to work, why would they pick a fight with the union, which is now telling yeah. its own members and everybody else, it's not such a great place to work. The management is rotten and they won't pay us properly for overtime.
0: And the last time there was a problem with the union, that yes. didn't end well for the CEO.
1: That's true. So the uh, uh, previous CEO had a big falling out with the John Horgan government, Uh, over. uh, He tried to lay off a whole bunch of ferry workers during the pandemic. The union protested to the premier's office. The premier's office phoned up the CEO and said, who do you think runs this thing? Reverse it. He had to. That greased the skids for the New Democrats to eventually fire the CEO, Mark Collins, and replace him. Well, replace the board chair, first of all, with former NDP cabinet minister, Joy McPhail, and then she brings in Nicholas Jimenez. So you'd think, knowing that history, that one of the things they would say at the executive suite at BC Ferries is do not PO the union uh, because <laughs> they've got some really good connections. And anyway, we want the union joining us in the recruitment drive. We want the union saying hey, it is a great place to work. The pay is great. The overtime is great. The benefits are great. Instead, got a big breach. And I don't know how this is going to be sorted out. As you know, Simi, the New Democrats insist they do not exercise political control over B.C. Ferries.
0: Not that anybody believes them, but yes.
1: So we'll see. You know, the word may go out, get this thing sorted out by the end of the day because this is not the message we want, the government wants, spreading out there that uh, the ferries are actually not such a great place to work.
0: And at the same time, they're holding these forums, right, in yeah. some in ferry-dependent communities to talk about the future of the BC ferry system. And I know a lot of people are thinking, we don't want to talk about the future. We want to talk about right now.
1: Yeah, they're trying to talk about the uh, future as in decades down like the road. 2050. Yeah, uh, you know, we had the mayor of Seashelt here this week, and he was very, very good. And he went and he talked to Global, he talked to all of us. And their big issue on Seashelt up on the Sunshine Coast is that the ferry that serves them is very, very, very old. And when it breaks down, which it does from time to time, um, there isn't really a suitable replacement vessel. So he comes down and he wants to talk to the transportation minister, Rob Fleming, about it. And he finds out that, yeah, well, we are going to replace that ship in the 2030s. That's when it's on the schedule. Really? So again, you get like, what are you going to do about between now and Christmas? Let's talk about now. And, you know, the ferries have a long-term plan, but they keep running afoul of problems right now.
0: We're running into here the end of the year now, Vaughn, where you could say that all year long, 2023 has been disastrous for BC ferries. Things breaking down, schedules, everything.
1: Yeah, and remember, this is the NDP team that they brought in to uh-huh. fix things, right? The, the ability to blame it on the, on the previous B.C. liberal government and their CEO, they dealt with that last summer, not the summer of this year, but in 2022. They fired the CEO, turned the board inside out, and sent a pretty strong signal that from now on, there was going to be political control over B.C. ferries, At the time, Simi, the general warning and comment was, you're taking political control of it. That means you're also going to get the political blame for troubles. And here we go again. It's been a terrible year, and it's very hard to point to any positive short-term results from the NDP team running the ferries.
0: And we are back this morning talking with Vaughn Palmer for the Vancouver Sun. And Vaughn, I have to say, not a lot surprises me these days. But this next story did surprise me—that you've got a what looked like a good relationship between the BC government, like the BC NDP government and the federal Liberal government. But then it turns out yesterday, maybe not.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you, and it, I think it just shows the clumsiness of the federal Liberals these days. The uh, since Justin Trudeau became prime minister, his best provincial relationship consistently, has been with the B.C. government because they have a lot of the same items on their agenda. So yesterday, the federal liberals, Trudeau, comes out and tweaks the, the, the national carbon tax, right? At 4.30 yesterday afternoon, we get a press release from B.C.'s energy minister. And she says, uh, here's our reaction to this announcement. We just learned about it, which is unfortunate because B.C. leads the country. Uh, with the Climate Action Plan. And, you know, we expect a better partnership from the federal government. Ouch! Look, B.C. pioneered the carbon tax in way back when the liberals lost the national election touting carbon taxes. And B.C. has been consistently supportive of the federal government's objectives in carbon taxation. They're not critical of it. And the thanks they get of that is Ottawa announces, the prime minister announces he's tweaking the tax, and B.C. has to scramble to catch up with it. Uh, And we're not even
0: on the list of of the exemptions. Like, okay, maybe not the cities, but there are rural parts of B.C. that certainly would have benefited from being tweaked on this heating oil exemption.
1: And uh, the B.C. announcement is, hey, we're going to do it here anyway. Like. Uh, don't don't worry, uh, British Columbians, uh, the provincial government will be there. Uh, we're going to cover you on this. It's May, you're not going yeah, yeah. to lose out. And uh, the federal government's making a big deal of the fact that they've suddenly developed enthusiasm for heat pumps. Well, the B.C. press release yesterday pointed out, you know what? Uh, we've been doing this already. We were there before you. And again, it's like. Look, uh, Ottawa has a lot of different provinces to deal with, but why wouldn't you stay on side yeah. with the one province that has supported you on this issue more than any other?
0: And not only that, the one province that supported you, but also B.C. is a three-way race yeah. in the polls right now. So they they need B.C., yeah. but they seem to be more worried about other provinces at this point than B.C.
1: Yeah, and I suppose, uh, Sammy, one can say that there is a history of this, that the British Columbia... Governments, even when they've tried to work with Ottawa, have trouble getting their attention, Uh, you could say, because the BC New Democrats have a list of things where they've tried to get straight answers from Ottawa and they can't get them on any kind of schedule. They're still waiting uh, for their requests on housing, on federal land being made available for housing out here. Uh, Well, they still haven't delivered on the promised bail reform, uh, which B.C. has been lobbying for for a while. And again, you go uh, (laughs) – the federal liberals ought to talk nicely to the B.C. New Democrats and keep them in the loop because without the support of the federal NDP, which has a big presence out here in B.C., Without the support of the federal NDP, Justin Trudeau wouldn't even be prime minister.
0: Let's talk a bit more about the bail reform one, because that's been a big one for the B.C. government. Attorney General Nikki Sharma has traveled to Ottawa a couple of times to... talk to uh, legislators there, lawmakers, including the Senate, where the the bill now sits, to try to convince them to pass this thing.
1: Yeah, so, uh, you know, BC's been lobbying for bail reform for over a year. Um, In the spring, the federal government introduced legislation to reform the bail system to make it harder for repeat violent offenders to get bail. Uh, Then they didn't pass the legislation. Um, House of Commons finally did pass the legislation this fall, now held up in the Senate. So Sharma did a virtual online appearance with the Senate committee that's dealing with this uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, she got a lot of tough questions. We've known for a while there's a lot of pushback on this. There are people that think that the bail reform thing will set back efforts to reduce the overrepresentation of Indigenous people, marginalized groups in, uh, in remand and in custody, that uh, it's a kind of a guilty... Uh, advance assumption that people are guilty when you withhold bail. But Sharma did a good job defending it. Um, Then this week, that committee wrapped up its work. Still hasn't passed the Senate. And one of the things they've changed, which I haven't seen an explanation for this, Simi, but Nikki Sharma, B.C.'s attorney general, is going to write a letter to the federal justice minister saying don't do this. The Senate, some members of them, Simi, want to back off on what is called the reverse onus provision for uh people who've had previous convictions for intimate partner violence so reversed onus means you and your lawyer have to persuade the judge that it's safe to let you go but that was a huge part That's of this bill. huge 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 and for good reason you know sharma told the senate she said i you know come from a riding on the east side of vancouver i know the stories and i know that Women are vulnerable when um, a person is out, is on bail, right? And she said we need to make it harder, especially if there's a previous offense, for those people to get bail. But, you know, uh, there's a real pushback on this at the highest level of, shall we say, progressive justice policy in Canada. There was a suspicion that even the federal bureaucrats didn't much want to do this. So... Uh, I think the Senate's going to pass it. I hope Sharma is successful in persuading the Justice Minister not to amend the legislation and make it easier for uh, people uh, with a record of intimate partner violence to get out, get bail. But I don't know. It's it's been
0: uphill. It feels like ever since she's been fighting it. She's the only one fighting it there to say, can you do this? Can you do this? Like, what's the federal government doing about their bill?
1: Yeah, and it's a turnaround for B.C., right? Because David Eby was civil, liber- civil liberties, right? And yeah. the civil liberties people are now saying, you know, don't do this. So, so it's been a turnaround. I think the one thing we can say, Simi, is there's a platoon of lawyers out there waiting for this law to pass and challenge it in court and try to persuade the courts to throw it out. So it's certainly not over yet. But, Simi, every time the Premier gets asked in the House about another violent offender who's been released before the police have finished the paperwork, he says, we need bail reform. Until we get bail reform, we cannot fix this problem.
0: Well, it doesn't look like it's happening anytime soon. Um, Vaughn, thank you for that. and Thank you for coming in to do this face-to-face. Did you enjoy um, Smitty's Star Trek II Wrath of Khan poster that's right there where you're <laughs> yes. sitting?
1: Now, Smith has a wonderful connect- collection of regalia. I'm not in that league at all, although I do have a uh, Kirk versus the Gorn boxing poster in my office <laughs> where uh, people who remember the Gorn from the uh, original Star Trek yes. series will go, yes, 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 that's right. The- Old Mr. Palmer still, uh, you know, thinking about Dr. McCoy and Scotty.
0: Of course you are. right. I'm much more of a Wrath of Khan. first thing I saw, I was like, oh, Wrath of Khan. All right, I can make this place my home. This is good. Vaughn, thank you for that.